Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Ooh, hi, everybody. Good morning. Uh, I'm just going to begin with a little bit of a nostalgic moment that I'm having. Uh, we did not, as a church plant, meet in a gymnasium as long as you have, but we did for a long, long, long time. So there's still something for me about walking into a gymnasium where you hear the worship band going and things like that, and I'm, it was really fun. And then on the morning when you are sending out, is this actually the first uh, church plant, campus plant from you? Oh, because... Uh, yeah, we loved church planting. We were a church plant from a fairly sizable church down in Los Angeles. And, uh, and what kind of stirred me, why I decided I'm, I'm just going to go for it, I, I, I felt as though I could hear the sound of sheep bleating and crying in the, in the valleys around uh, Santa Cruz, the place where we eventually went. And because I believe that anything Jesus has called me to do is something that he has called others to do, and having myself gone and planted a church, which is kind of like, uh, here's a great theme verse for you, who is so blind as the servant of the Lord? And church planting is, is kind of doing this, waiting for a great and good God to steer you in a direction that never occurred to you whatsoever. And because we had taken that plunge, it kind of gave me the, I don't know, the moral authority to suggest that other people would take the plunge as well. We planted in 22 years 37 churches. Yeah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. But uh, I will tell you this, that of those 37, there were only like five of the lead pastor type people for whom it was their idea to go church planting. Because uh, I think the job of the church is to uh, send people. Uh, so they, people used to call me the catapult. I extend the right hand of fellowship to you, invite you to sit down in this nice little velvet bucket. Watch for my left hand, though, because after you're nice and comfortable when you've been praising the Lord, <laughs> it's, it's fine. And you know, interestingly, not all of our church planters uh, remained enthused about planting a church all the way up. I mean, in the beginning, it's like, yes, Lord, I'll go. But then there's several days you have to kind of think about it. And I remember this one dear man who, who finally said, it was just weeks before we were, we were launching them, and he said, I, which was a Hebrew expression to say, I, I don't think I'm really ready to go and do this. And he says, I don't think I can go and plant a church. Now, just a few weeks before that, he had told me he was celebrating because his father, who lived in a small mountain town in Idaho, had found a little church and had come to Christ. And he was so excited. 
So when he said to me, I, 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 I don't think I really can actually do this. And I said, oh, well, no worries, because I've decided I don't think you ought to go church planting at all. And he was like, you, oh, he was so happy. I said, no, nah, I don't want you to go plant a church. I just want you to go and wait for someone's father. And he said, thank you. I'm going. You see, you and I, we, we can't see all the things that God is going to do. And Isaiah 9 tells us that I and the people that God has given me are for signs and wonders. And oh, we do celebrate the miraculous intervention of God when stuff happens that drops people's jaws. But we must never forget that these signs and wonders that God most loves to sprinkle and just all over the world are beggarly men and women like you and me who, who have no idea sometimes how greatly God can use us. So I just want to say I, I am doubly, triply honored uh, to be here this morning to add a few thoughts uh, to you from the Word of God on a morning of such celebration and so forth. Well, if you do have a Bible with you, I'll invite you to open up to the last three verses of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And uh, just to kind of give you a little heads up, I am going to be telling you four very short stories. And the reason I'm telling you how many is that no matter how hard you pray, I will not be done until I have finished the fourth story. And I'll even give you a little, you know, along the way. Now, this is story number two. So you'll, you'll, you'll have a hope for where I'm ultimately going in all of this. And uh, I'm going to use an old preacher trick, even though I will now read these verses to you. The first part of my message is not one of the stories. You will know when I come to the stories, because when you read the Gospels, remember, two things are really important. The first is the details. And if you miss the details of the stories, if you only have kind of a Sunday school remembrance of the stories in the Gospels, you're probably missing the point of those stories. But the other important detail about when, you, when you're reading uh, the Gospels is what we call the context, what has happened just in front of the story that we're going to be reading. So here we are picking it up, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 42. And when day came, Jesus departed and went to a lonely place. And the multitudes were searching for him, and they came to him, and they tried to keep him from going away from them. But Jesus said to them, Oh, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And he kept right on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, many people would call this kind of the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And what takes place just before these verses and before the four stories, I know you're looking forward to me getting to, is the famous uh, or very well-known episode when Jesus was in the temple, as was his habit, 
And he asked for the scroll of the book of Isaiah to be handed to him. And he opened up that scroll and he began to read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bind up brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who were bruised and, and go on and so forth. And of course, everybody loved listening to Jesus. His words were, oh. and they all knew that that passage was a messianic prophecy. They didn't have chapter and verse in those days. And so how a teacher would signal the passage that he wanted everyone to know he was talking about was to quote a couple of the trigger uh, verses. And so everyone knew, oh, yes, this is a messianic prophecy. We're looking forward to the day when Messiah will come. So Jesus reads this and he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. In other words, he was saying, I'm it. <laughs> and I, I kind of picture the people, you know, oh, it's so sweet. Mm -hmm. Hey, Jesus, that's pretty funny. No way you could possibly be Messiah. We went to third grade together. We know what a squirrel you used to be. You can't be Messiah. You had us going there for a little bit, but no way. And this is when Jesus quotes to everyone, a prophet has no honor in his own town among his own people. And that is so important for what we're going to understand. And I'm going to kind of preface the message by saying to you, I'm guessing that you have been living with yourself, well, probably your whole life. And if you are only a recent tenant in this dwelling, we have counseling available to get rid of you because you are a squatter. In other words, you grew up with yourself and you know all about your third grade and what a squirrel you were, what a squirrel you still are. And as surely as the people who had a history with Jesus could not possibly believe that he could be something special, in exactly the same way you and I looking in the mirror, well, most of us, if you have a bogus mirror, once in a while it will tell you, it's true, you are wonderful, but real mirrors that you don't pay extra for, they never say, oh my goodness, look at you. They are not impressed. And since you take your cue about yourself from that mirror, you are not impressed with yourself either. And it leaves you with a really rotten and inadequate conclusion because instead of viewing what God might be able to do, as the scripture we read from 1 Corinthians told us just a bit ago, what God might be able to do with this very raw material, we decide there isn't anything adequate about ourselves. Now, just before Jesus uh, goes off to a lonely place, we're told that he basically had an all-night revival uh, prayer meeting, and all kinds of people were being healed and delivered, and every manner of brokenness in their mind, uh, distortion in their body, any kind of ruin that had happened to them, body, soul, Jesus was touching and healing, and these people are like, wow, wow. So after they're done getting healed, what do they do? They go home and go to sleep. Never mind. <laughs> Jesus is up all night long praying for these jokers. 
And finally, when the last person gets prayed for, though Jesus is the Son of God, he's also the Son of Man, and he was plain tired. So he goes off to this lonely place. Translate that, there ain't no humans. Now, maybe he was praying. I think he was just like, well, the people, hallelujah, who were so touched last night, who had such an experience, they come back to where they had left Jesus, and he's not there. And they're like, what is the deal? Jesus, where are you? Jesus, hello, Jesus, where are you? Why aren't you where we left you? We want you to remain where we can always find you by coming and getting our blessing, going away, doing whatever we want to do, and we expect that blessing to be available to us when we come to the same little marketplace. And Jesus isn't there. So these jokers go off into the wilderness. They finally find him, and basically they gang-tackle him and say, don't ever do that again. Don't ever leave where we left you. And Jesus says, you don't get it, do you? I mean, yes, I do want to come and touch every need in your life, no question. But I did not come to be your personal butler. I did not come to attend to you. I have a mission, and I want to keep taking this message to cities that are beyond the one where you live. And you can hear the implication. We're almost to story one. Be of good faith. By the way, my introductions are usually the longest part of my message, uh, but okay. So you can hear Jesus say these words, follow me. Oh, I will attend to every need that you have. But if you want to stick with me, if you want to be there with me, if you want to have that closeness between you and me, you got to follow me and do what the Father sent me to do. Because his calling on my life, what he asked me to do, was not to reach you and to be done. He called me to enlist you so that together we can touch the world. Okay, so this brings me to the first story. Now, if you, again, you went to Sunday school, you'll kind of remember this. It was one of my favorites when I was a kid. It's the story of Peter in the fishing boat. But the details are important. Point number one, uh, Peter was not in the adoring throng of people who were just listening to what Jesus had to say. The guy's a fisherman. He's been up all night long. Okay, that's not going to work very well. And now he's doing this boring job of repairing his nets. He's sitting off over here on the side. Uh, the Bible doesn't say it, but I imagine him grumbling a little bit. And Jesus is speaking to all these people, and this is before they have microphones. So if you want to project your voice to the back part of the crowd, you can't have people right in your face. But I think these people kept pressing, and Jesus takes a step back. He's speaking, takes a couple of more steps back. Eventually, he touches water, and he knows this is not the chapter when I walk on water. 
So, and he sees Peter's boat, right? What does he do? Does he say, Peter, can I borrow your boat? No, because the scriptures tell us that Christ knows all people. And he knows if he asks first, Peter is going to say what you and I say. No. Jesus doesn't ask. He steps into his boat and then says, you don't mind if I borrow this, do you? Remember, he's the one that told us to be innocent as doves, but tricky as snakes. And he is seriously tricky. He steps into all kinds of parts of your life. There you are at work, minding your own business. Somebody notices that Bible, and they ask you a question, and you're like, wow, not at work. So Jesus says, you mind just, well, he finishes his message. And how do you thank a fisherman who has caught no fish? How do you thank him for the use of his boat? So Jesus says, thanks for the memories. If you'll just now go ahead and lower your net, you'll catch lots of fish. We'll call it a day and see you later. And Peter's like, <laughs> yeah, well, just two minor problems with your suggestion. Point number one, there are no fish in this dumb lake because I was fishing all night last night. And point two, we fish at night, not in the day. But, but, but to get you off my boat. See, this is probably not the version you heard in Sunday school, right? Okay. Well, my Bible has a lot of space in between the lines, and that's where I like, uh, I like reading. So he says, okay, just go ahead and lower your net. And your net, Peter's like, okay, to get you off my boat, watch, I'm lowering my net. Here I go. And soon so many fish are in this net. And this is when people who don't read their Bible start singing, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah. Read the details. His net begins to tear, and his boat begins to go down. So Pete has to roll like a crazy man to get to shore before everything is sunk. And, and so you get to the shore, there's fish flopping all over the place, and Peter, that we will eventually learn, well, let's just say he was not above average in his uh, intelligence, <laughs> So Peter, though, he looks at the fish, he looks at Christ, back to the fish, to Christ, to the fish, to the fish, to Christ, to the fish, to, and says, whoa, you're, you're like a holy man. Yeah. <laughs> but it's what he says next that might remind you of you. See, many of us, Acknowledge, oh, Lord. And if before you come to know him as your Savior, you might think of him only as a good man, a holy man. And after you come to Christ, you know he's the Son of God. And we have this appropriate uh, tendency. We want to hit our knees. We want to say, oh, Lord, you're holy. But you know what Peter then says next before Jesus can say anything? He says, oh, you're a holy man. Oh, my goodness, you better get away from me as fast as you can because I'm not a holy man. You picked the wrong boat to get into. I'm the bad man. The good guy was three boats down. He was saying, I am so bad that I can single-handedly destroy your ministry. Jesus, you don't want to be found in the company of people like me. 
because you're a good man, I'm a bad man, and these two things don't go together, so you better get away from me. And there are many people, sincere believers, who think that the appropriate thing to say to the Lord is, oh, no, no, I'm too bad to be used by you. And what does Jesus say to Peter? I don't really care what you've been. I'm trashing your whole life anyway. <laughs> See, the truth is the only thing that would prevent me from being used by the Lord in my past or in my present are any of the things that I won't let him trash. And it's only if I want to hang on to the badness that Jesus' hands are somewhat tied. All of us have stuff. All of us have things that we think ultimately disqualify us. But if you simply say, Lord, if you can, you can use me. Second person, story two, second person that we meet is a, is a leper. Uh, you can follow these stories in Luke chapter 5. That's where, that's where I am. He's a leper. And the deal about lepers in those days is even they acknowledged that they were bad. Uh, it, it, even though the Bible doesn't teach this, the religious mindset had determined that leprosy was the one thing that God won't heal. And imagine what it would be like to, to understand that, oh, it's too bad I didn't have that sickness. Or if we maybe broaden our understanding, it's, it's you know, it's too bad I, I, I hadn't done that thing that's wrong. Or if, 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 if only that thing was what was true of me, God could heal that. God could forgive that. But I've got the one he won't touch. And that's why this leper watching Jesus heal every manner of sickness and wrongness, why he cries out, oh, Lord, if only you were willing, you could heal me. But I know you're not willing to heal a man like me. I've pastored for a long time, and I've discovered that, strange as it may seem, most people believe that they've got something in their life, in their past, in their that that that's, that disqualifies them forever. And even though they can just oh hallelujah, praise God when 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 horrible things get confessed and people get turned around. If as long as it's somebody else, I can say, oh, the Lord loves you. The Lord forgives you. But when I look in the mirror, there is that religious sternness that wants me to understand you are not someone that God can heal or forgive. And what does Jesus do, though, when this man cries out, if only you were willing? He sincerely believed that he was afflicted with something that set him apart from the great grace of God. And Jesus walked right up to this man, touched him, and healed him. 
Yeah, hallelujah. But then do you know what Jesus said? See, gee, you got you to read the whole story. You know what Jesus said after he heals this man? He says, go and show yourself to the religious leaders. This will blow their mind. I want to be a testimony, not someone that celebrates a wrongness of my life, but you and I are supposed to be the embodiment of the grace of God fixing and restoring in such a way that people who are only religious, people whose entire mindset is about good and bad and well, you're not good. It's supposed to blow their minds. This is my favorite. This guy was a, a paralytic. And, you know, the Sunday school story, he had four friends who brought him into the presence of Jesus. There was no room in the in so, so they took him up to the top, cut a hole in the roof, and lowered the man in the presence of the Lord. Yeah, okay, well, details are important. First of all, it's four guys. Four guys. What's the motto of guys everywhere? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, get enough. It'll be, it'll be fine. Why do you think there was no room for them to get in the meeting? <laughs> because none of these jokers even had a clue what time the meeting started. <laughs> and they just figured, oh, it'll be fine because, you know, I'll just show up. Right? Okay, I'll just show up. And they get there, and you can just feel the puzzlement with these guys. It's like, what? There's no room? I mean, where did all these people come from? What are we going to do now? So they began thinking, you know, they're thinking. Finally, one guy says, hey, man, I got an idea. I got a sawzall in the back of my truck. Let's go up and cut a hole in the roof. And all the other three guys are like, oh, yeah, good idea. We'll just cut a hole in the roof and lower him down. Now, may I suggest to you, without it seeming too sexist or something, that if there was just one, one little girl, a seven-year-old little girl, and the guy said, yeah, we'll just cut a hole in the roof. She probably would have known enough to say, I, I don't think that's actually such a good idea. What about all the dust? But these are guys. They don't know from whence dust cometh or how dust goeth away. And since there was no little girl to say, this is a really bad idea, they're all enthused about it. They go up on the roof and they cut a hole. Now ask yourself, gentlemen, this could be a moment of internal confession. No one has to know, okay? But ask yourself, do you really think they measured out a hole big enough to lower the guy like this? Not on your life. This is good enough, guys. This will be fine. And I picture the hole this big. And I don't know if they stuffed him in head first, which would be so weird to, oh, hello, everyone. Or if they cram him in feet first, and the whole time he's saying, I am going to get you guys. And they're saying, ha, what are you going to do? You're paralyzed. Keep lowering him. <laughs> and I think the last thing this dear man hears is, oops. Because I don't think these guys were part of the high school drill team and they had little ropes that were all the same length. I'm sure one rope was not the same length. And whoops, and this poor man, boom, right into the middle of a debate that Jesus is having with religious people. 
And the debate had been going something like this. I came to the earth to forgive people's sins. And the religious people are like, no way. Jesus like, really? No, I can forgive people's sins. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Boom, he dropped. Thank you for dropping in. And Jesus now says, hey, listen. Listen. I could say a person is forgiven, but it's really hard to spot a forgiven person. I mean, it's not like they glow in the dark. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have a big F on their forehead. Oh, I see you've been forgiven. <laughs> it's, it's actually pretty difficult to spot a forgiven person. Hmm. So Jesus said, rather than debating back and forth, how about if I change this man's physical condition? And so if I say to him, get up and go, he gets up and goes, kind of end of argument, huh? And Jesus said, so that people will know I really do have this power to change people's life. I say to you, get up and go. And I bet that guy ran out of the room because he knew there were religious people in there who would probably try to say to him, it's not that easy. They probably would have wanted him to be provisionally healed. All right, we'll start with your right leg. And if you're good, then we'll go ahead and heal the rest of it. Because isn't that sometimes how you feel about forgiveness? That it's as though uh, Christ will, all right, he'll, he'll, he'll go first and forgive you. But sucker, if you don't stay good, that forgiveness is going to be yanked away from you so fast, you'll be back on the mat in worse shape. But whom Christ sets free is free indeed. Now, I suppose for a man who had been incapacitated like that for so long, I'm imagining that every time he laid down to take a nap, every morning when he woke up, because he had so much memory of how his life had been, that if he was ever in, if you'll allow this, kind of in the same posture, if he ever found himself in the same kind of position that he had been in when he was paralyzed, I bet his heart beat pretty fast wondering, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, am I, am I paralyzed again? Because here I am again. And I believe there are many of us who have a, a sort of a spiritual muscle memory. And with all of our heart, we say, Lord, I don't want to go back to where I was. But the hater of our soul, the accuser, the one who lies to us, who wants us to believe that though we sincerely want to follow the Lord, you're not good enough. And the temptations, even the desire to go back to something from which Christ had set us free, we equate those temptations with he's never even healed me. And yet Jesus was the one who told his friends, 70 times 70. You forgive that many times. And the one who encouraged us frail humans who carry grudges, who struggle, that we should forgive as many times as somebody comes to us and says, I'm so sorry, forgive me. For us to imagine that the king of kings will not forgive us, 
that he somehow changes his merciful grace toward us by having now once forgiven you, mm -mm, not going to be that easy the second time. Friends, it wasn't easy the first time. It cost Jesus his life. And he who has seated you and me in heavenly places, don't imagine that he says, yeah, well, you stubbed your toe. I'm yanking you back down to earth, sucker. Now how do you like it? Let us have the courage to believe that those things that were a part of my past, those things that perhaps even still tempt me now, those things into which sometimes maybe I even still am stumbling a little bit, that is not my future. That is not what Christ has for me. He wants me to stand up, pick up my pallet, and get out of there. And then we meet, fourth story, a guy who ultimately will write one of the Gospels. His name is Matthew. But when Jesus meets him, Matthew's not a good guy. He's a tax collector, and he is sitting in his tax collecting office doing his sin thing. He's right in the middle of doing his sin thing. And Jesus steps into Matthew's office. And what's so curious to me is what Jesus does not say. Matthew is a bad man. He's been caught red-handed in his sin. That ever happened to you? The Lord just sort of shows up in your mind, and you're like, oh, ah, Lord, <laughs> what are you doing here? I wasn't expecting you. Yeah, anyway, he, he shows up pretty regularly. And so here's Matthew doing his sin thing, and Jesus doesn't say, Matthew, Matthew, I thought we talked about this. Stop it, stop it, stop it. I cannot believe, Matthew, that you did this. No, Jesus doesn't do any of that religious haranguing. He just says to Matthew what he says to every single one of us. Whether you're doing really well in the Lord, hallelujah, whether you're doing not so good, whether you're going for the straight and narrow, or you are off in straights in a narrow spot and stuck, whether you're doing good or not doing good, whether you've known Jesus for like a day or you've known him for a decade or longer, no matter where you are, no matter what you're up to, Jesus says the same thing. Follow me. See, that's where religion just doesn't have it right. It says you better do this and that. There are all kinds of things you need to do for God. And faith is what God has done for us. And so Jesus says to Matthew, he says to you, he says to me every single day, follow me. And he's not playing games. If you're in sin and you follow Jesus, you'll get out of sin. And if you're doing well and you keep following Jesus, you'll be doing well. He wants to lead you. But the, he is also the one, I'm picking up on something that was said about the church planters earlier. He's the one who says, the foxes have lairs and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no permanent address. And for the people 
who want to have a permanent spiritual address, who mistakenly imagine, oh, hallelujah, and we'll just go right back to that same place where we left Jesus before, I can tell you, you are in for a life of disappointment. And there's so many Christians all over the world who don't get engaged in this process of following Christ and preaching Christ to other people in other places. And they wonder, oh, you know, hmm, things just don't seem quite as hallelujah as they used to be. Maybe I should go someplace and find a little bit more of the battle. Jesus is recruiting followers who will go with him to take the message to others. Amen. Pastor. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.